Big money matters in Australian elections. Amidst a busy week in politics, the annual release of the federal political donations data might have slipped under your radar. Yet this data points to a very concerning underlying question. Can you buy an election? It's a question that drives to the very heart of our democracy. With loose laws around political donations, this dark money allows untraceable influences to seep into the political system. And while this might sound like a Washington political thriller, somehow we managed to do it in a completely Australian way. Donations in Aldi shopping bags, not to mention sports rorts. Are we being naive to hope for institutional reform? Without reform, our very democracy is at risk. But for everyday Australians, it can seem like an insurmountable problem. The very people whose job it is to reform politics are the ones who benefit the most from a lack of transparency. No wonder trust in governments is at an all-time low. Welcome to the Grattan Institute podcast. I'm Kat Clay, your host, and here to talk to me about Australia's political donation schmozzle and how we can fix it is Kate Griffiths. Kate is our Fellow for the Budget Policy and Institutional Reform Program. Welcome, Kate. Hi. So before we get to the donations data, I want to take a step back. What's the problem with the current situation? So donations are legal in Australia. They're very much a part of our democracy. Donations themselves are not the problem. The problem is around a couple of things. First of all, it's transparency and accountability. So when donations are made, they ought to be on the public record, particularly when they're significant donations. And the way our system works at the moment, we have a very high disclosure threshold. We have a lot of hidden money in the system. So it just means that actually people are not that aware of who's donating and who's funding elections. Then on top of that, you've got sort of accountability risks when the timeliness of donations data is is as poor as we've seen. So we're only just now hearing about donations made at in the lead up to the last year's election, it's, it's just much too late to actually be a part of, of the accountability process where voters actually get the opportunity to consider who is funding campaigns when they vote. I think the second real issue um, with the Australian system is around balance. So we can see that donations are highly concentrated and we can see that some groups have a lot more opportunity to influence than others. And so those sorts of questions really are at the heart of this. Parties are quite reliant on major donors. There are real risks, therefore, that they could have undue influence in policymaking, and we might not see the policy made in the public interest. And it's interesting, you mentioned this data is coming out nine months after the election, after I've had my democracy sausage and made my choice on who to vote for. And I think we'll touch on that a little bit later about how to reform that. Um, But I wanted to know whether the political donations laws are the same across the state and federal level. No, so they are quite different and the federal level laws lag the states. So most of the states are are doing better um, in terms of having greater transparency, more timely release of information around donations, um, and also in terms of putting some limits on how far, on how high donations can be made, so the size of donations, but also on, in some states like New South Wales, um, on how much parties can actually spend during election campaigns, which, which ultimately is the driving force here. Parties can spend as much as they can raise if, if there are no limits there. So there's always an incentive for more and more donations and for more and more reliance on those bigger donations, bigger donors. Um, so having some limits around spending, um, we can see that at the state level, 
but we haven't seen any of these sorts of reforms at the federal level yet. And we've seen people run into that issue in New South Wales in the recent news. Yeah, we have. So the Aldi shopping bags, for example, that you mentioned um, in the intro, I mean, that's something that is specific to New South Wales. So they've actually got caps on on how much you can donate. You can't donate more than about $6,000. And so a $100,000 donation um, is breaching that cap. And that's why the um, New South Wales ICAC, uh, the Independent Commission Against Corruption, was looking into that particular instance um, with New South Wales Labor. So the rules are different at a federal level. So technically, I could take $100,000 to Canberra in a shopping bag right now and give it to a uh, federal MP. And that would be acceptable? Essentially, as long as the politician or the party declared that on their return next February, yes, that would be okay. So that's how different the federal and state laws are. And particularly, um, the federal laws are, are much looser than the states, which because it is a system where parties compete at the national level but also at state level, the loopholes in the federal laws, the lax in the federal laws actually undermines many of those state laws. So turning now to that political donations data that you've spent hours digging into when it was released, one of the biggest things to come out of the data was Clive Palmer's donation of $84 million to his own campaign, which was the largest donation in Australian political history. Can you tell me a bit about the impact of that donation? Sure. So, yeah, it was a really remarkable donation, as you say, the the biggest ever uh, on record. It's also highly concentrated in the sense that if we look at all the donations at the 2019 election, that one donation represents 70% of all the donations. So it just tells you how influential one um, person, one interest can be uh, in an election campaign, which is is, is quite a sort of scary thing because there's obviously lots of different factors that go into an election win. Um, but the fact that one individual or one single business could have such influence in a, in a national debate during that camp- campaign period raises serious questions, I think, for, for Australian democracy. Um, we can see that there are some other big donations um, over the years, and it's interesting to note that the second biggest donation ever was also Palmer, and that was back in the 2013 election. So he's done this before, and, and that's something um, that we've seen other um, major kind of either wealthy individuals, big businesses or unions um, dip in and out of um, big donations in particular elections and sometimes it's to do with the issues on the table during elections. We see some timing of of donations around particular issues but sometimes it's also to do with um, donating to both sides. There's actually many um, big donors to both sides of politics. So, Kate, if Palmer didn't win any seats, what did his donation actually buy? Yeah, it's a good question. It's hard to assess what his intention was in in making a large donation and running the campaign that he did. If the United Australia Party was trying to win seats, then clearly they were unsuccessful. Um, The campaign that was run was quite an anti-Labor sort of negative campaign, specifically around Shorten. Um, and Palmer himself has said that his intention was to keep Shorten out of office. Um, so if you take him on that word, then perhaps he was quite successful in that. But I think, yeah, there's many different objectives and certainly um, donations can buy different things. It's not just Clive Palmer who made a significant donation in this last election. Let's talk about some of the other large donations that turned up as well. We can certainly see that there were some other donations from individuals, so wealthy individuals 
There's one in particular that really stands out. It's the um, it's the largest non-Palmer donation on the record, around $4 million um, from a philanthropist and investor that went to the Liberal Party. Um, so that one, um, Isaac Wackel is his name and his company is Sugalina. Um, that really stands out on the record. There's also a couple of donations um, from Pratt Holdings, so Anthony Pratt's um, paper and pulp company. Um, Pratt Holdings donated to both sides and gave about $1.5 million to each. So that's a really interesting one where we actually see at this election, at the 2019 election, quite a few donors donating to both sides. And just to interrupt you there, I wonder why people would donate to both sides. Is it a matter of hedging your bets? So it, it could be. It could be a matter of hedging your bets. One of the most common things that donations sort of get you is access. And if you're not sure who's going to win the election... Donating to both sides could mean you have the opportunity to have conversations, to pitch your case to both sides. I think the other thing to remember as well here is that there's always the question with donations about whether um, they flow to the party most likely to win the election or whether they flow to the party the donor wants to win the election. And those two things may not be the same. Um, So I think when we see Um, donors donating to both sides, to both of the major parties in particular, there's an element to which I think they're hedging your bets in terms of being able to have conversations with whoever the next government is. And that dovetails quite nicely into what I want to talk about next, which is that you've written previously on this idea about political access and influence in the 2018 report, Who's in the Room? Access and Influence in Australian Politics. So going back to that question um, and looking at it from a bigger perspective, what do political donations buy? Yeah, so as I was saying, donations definitely buy access. We can see that in the data. The simplest examples of, of that or the clear the clearest examples really are around fundraising dinners. So major parties run, all parties run fundraising dinners and essentially you're paying, you know, for a seat at the table with a senior politician. And that is um, very much access for sale. Uh, That's how parties help raise money to fund their campaigns. And and they are reliant on donations to get their message out to voters. So parties definitely need to be running running fundraisers in order to run their big election campaigns. And donors pay for the privilege of of, um, sitting next to someone who might be in power. Essentially, that access question is pretty clear cut. We can also see in the data um, in Queensland, for example, uh, we can actually match who donated at the election to who got opportunities to meet with, say, senior ministers um, in the same sort of period. The reason we can match that data is because Queensland publishes much more information about both donations and about lobbying activity, meetings with ministers. So we can actually see who's getting access. And we can see there that a major donor... Is um, has about a fifty percent chance of having a meeting with with the, with the premier, deputy premier, or treasurer. So one of the top three. What an incredible level of access that that the average Australian could never expect. So essentially, donations are buying access. Whether they buy influence, I think, is really the crux of your question, and it's much trickier to pin down. But we can definitely say that access is an opportunity to influence, and it's an opportunity afforded only to those that um, can, you know, participate in this and who, um, and so it, it's not a level playing field. It, it really is um, quite a privileged opportunity to influence 
And there's a reliance of parties on donors, which means that even if a donation isn't sort of a quid pro quo, there's still um, an element to which parties may feel they need to hear and appease certain views. And that's fascinating that there's this notion of subtle influence um, with political donations. One of the other things that came out of your research in looking at the political donations was that the party with the biggest war chest tends to win the election. Talk to me about that. Yeah, so we just looked at the past five elections uh, in terms of the aggregate spending by parties to get a better sense of how much money matters in elections. And it, it is quite Um, sort of a a scary finding, I suppose, that the bigger war chest won the election in four out of the last five. So money certainly matters. And I think uh, we could see with the 2019 data as well that big money is mattering in Australian elections more than ever. The fundamentals there, though, are still, um, I think, less clear in terms of whether donors are picking who they think is going to win and donating to that side. And so in effect, the money is flowing to the party who was already most likely to win, or whether donors are actually picking winners, make delivering the win. More donations enables you to get the win, and that's a that's a whole other level of, of influence. I think the 2019 election is an interesting example because it's one of the first times where we've seen the party that was expected to win didn't actually win. And we do see, as I was saying before, quite a, a number of donors who um, who split donations to both sides, so we're kind of hedging their bets. But we also see that the party with the bigger war chest in the 2019 election won. So that might give some more weight to the mm-hmm. idea that donations can help deliver a result, not just that they would follow the likely winner. And it's a fascinating uh, graph, which you can actually have a look at on our website as well if you'd like to dig a bit more into this information. So, Kate, out of all these, there was one election um, that didn't win with the biggest war chest. Could you tell me a bit about that? That was actually the 2010 election where we ended up with a hung parliament. So that was kind of an interesting one. The larger war chest was with the LNP, uh, but the ALP formed government, um, if a minority government at that. So I think that's kind of an interesting example where where the dollars were fairly close, but they didn't fall that way. And it does it is a really good reminder that you know this is a small sample size. We're only talking about the last five elections, and in in the case of of the 2019 election, there are always so many factors that go into an election win. We know that money matters, but we we can't say that it's the deciding factor. I think that's a really good place to look at how we can fix this system. I'd like to think that there's still hope um, that the political donation system can be reformed. And last week, Jackie Lambie called for donations reform in Parliament, and several other minor parties have pushed for these reforms over the years. What do you recommend we do to reduce the risk of interest groups buying influence and potentially elections? So I think the really big thing that would make a difference in terms of of the election campaigns and the money that's involved in elections um, is an expenditure cap on parties. So that's to say that political parties would be limited in how much they could spend during the election campaign period. And what that does is it says parties actually can raise up to that amount Um, But any fundraising that they do beyond that is not going to help them win the election anyway. It's not going to help them um, spread their message any further or wider. So the incentive to chase that extra donation just isn't there at that point. And the influence of any individual donor is weakened 
which is the really important part here. It's not about um, whether or not parties should have um, you know, access to donations, whether or not people should be able to donate. It's actually more about what influence those donations have. And if you limit how much the parties can spend, then you know, it's got all sorts of benefits in terms of the, the arms race for more and more donations, gives politicians a whole lot more time to, to do their jobs and, and um, more important things. But it also reduces the influence of any one donor like, like Palmer. So, Kate, we need an expenditure cap. What else? Yeah, there's actually quite a lot more reform um, that's needed. The expenditure cap would would do a lot, um, but we also need to just know more about the donations that are in the system. We should know who the major donors are, and there's a few problems around the current system, in particular the high disclosure threshold, the fact that multiple donations under the threshold can be made by the same donor without them being aggregated up by the party. So that's a kind of massive loophole in the system. We just need to close that. And then the timeliness of donations that we kind of touched on before, the fact that we're only just now, you know, February 2020, finding out about the donations that were made in the campaign leading up to the May 2019 election. Um, and we see, we've seen that year after year. Last year, we finally found out about the Tasmanian election that had happened the year before. I mean, we're always a, a year behind and it's um, not good enough for voters. More timely release of donations data is actually fairly straightforward. The states are doing it already. Queensland can do it in um, within seven days. So that sort of system is something that you know, we've got the te- technology to do. We just haven't seen the will to do it. And that's that's the next step on transparency. Thank you so much, Kate, for your wonderful insight into institutional reform and this very grey area of political donations. If you'd like to read the research we've been talking about or any of our past reports, visit our website at grattan.edu.au. You can stay up to date with all of Grattan's news and events by following us on Twitter at Grattan Inst and Facebook Grattan Institute. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please hit subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or Spotify. Thanks for listening.